What's up, guys, and welcome to episode 16 of the Spider Scoop podcast. As always, I'm your host, Noah Goldberg, with ESPN Richmond. Today, I am not joined by struggling Charlotte Hornets fan and A10 Talk writer Austin Daisy, as Austin is actually away for the week, so he'll be rejoining us uh, next week or the week after for episode 17. Uh, today, had a really awesome guest on. We had head of uh, strength and conditioning and also nutrition specialist for the Richmond Spiders, and that's Jay DeMeo. He came on, we talked. Uh, the guys being back on campus, how this offseason's been different from a fitness and strength perspective, how they're preparing for this season. Uh, we talked about diet. We talked about guys individually. So really great conversation across the board to kind of hear what's going on behind the scenes with uh, Spider Basketball and how they're getting ready for the season. Um, so with that being said, enjoy Jay DeMeo. Welcome to episode 16 of the Spider Scoop podcast. Um, obviously, really special guest on today. We've got head strength and conditioning coach for the uh, Richmond Spiders basketball team, Jay DeMeo. Uh, Jay, what's going on, man? How are things down there on campus? I'm sure it's a little bit uh, different maybe than it was last August. Yeah, well, I mean, we're here, right? Typically this time of year, the, the men and the women wouldn't be here. We would be in our little bit of break before semester starts. But yeah, it's... Uh, I think the word we all like to use right now is unique, right? And uh, mm-hmm. it, I'm I'm excited for where we're going and what we've been doing. I think these, I think I think the guys and, and the ladies have been, they've been great. And they, you know, this is obviously a challenge for everyone involved, and it's all new. Uh, but they've really been sensational moving through the process. Yeah. So I want to start off a little bit about about yourself. Obviously, you were, you know, in your college days, you were a college soccer player up in uh, SUNY Cortland, right? Um, so, I, you know, when you think of the stereotypical, you know, meathead strength and conditioning coach, you know, you're thinking of basically, a, you know, Joe Thomas, former offensive lineman, big-ass football player who then shed a bunch of fat and all of a sudden he's this huge guy. You probably don't think of a soccer player, right? Like, it's, an, it's a different type of athlete. How did you get into strength and conditioning – what was that transition like? Was it something you were always interested in? You know, how'd that come about? Yeah, it's funny. I'm kind of like the opposite, right? I was the skinny soccer player and now I'm the old fat strength coach, I guess. But, uh, you know, I actually got hurt, um, believe it or not. I got, I got hurt at SUNY Cortland. Uh, there's still a knot behind my left knee from where I tore my hamstring. And I was really fortunate enough in that situation to have, at the time, so this was back like 1999, 2000, uh, to have a sports medicine practitioner who also was a strength and conditioning coach. Because back then, a lot of Major League Baseball, it was a dual position. You would, you would do the training and the sports med stuff. Her name was Farron Bennett. And I loved to train. I loved to be in the weight room. I loved exercising, you know, just, you know, as much of a meathead of a soccer player as you can be, I guess, if that's possible, right? And she was like, you want to try this out with some teams? I was like, yeah, like, that's awesome. Uh, and I got to work with our softball team, our men's hockey team, and a little bit with our baseball team. Um, and then the rest was history. It was, uh, it's been a, a long, interesting learning curve um, over and back from Europe and flying people from all over the world here and trying to expand and, and do better to make sure that whatever we're doing, we're trying to find a best way to complement what, you know, what coach Mooney wants these guys to be able to do on the court. Yeah. How, and how much uh, is that a part of, you know, how much do you enjoy that part of like, I know you've done seminars in I think China, you've gone overseas, you're, you have the central Virginia 
uh, sports performance seminar, just, you know, I feel like, especially in this industry, it's so much about educating and collaborating in seminars. How big of a part of it is that for you? Huge, man. Uh, it's super huge. And I think that, you know, what's really been cool is it's allowing like selfishly me to be able to do things for the guys that I had never thought I'd be able to do. You know, like we were just talking before, um, you know, Vita put the article up that we were, you know, the only thing we did in the lift the other day was like we jumped and we did a couple of lifts just to start to move them back in. And the jumps were on force plates and it's, we've been able to find people that are like super smart, um, that are PhDs or people in high major professional sports. And, you know, they go through the data with us too. And it's like, it, it really has been something that started out as who were the people that I wanted to learn from and then asking the people that I thought were smarter than me, who they think is smarter than them. And that's brought me to from bringing people from the Netherlands, Australia, Moscow, Rome, St. Petersburg, Ukraine, Vancouver, to our little campus, you know, and including that into a bunch of people in America as well. And it's been, it's really awesome, man. You know, and the world is so small, right? Like, it's not hard to get on a Skype call with someone or a Zoom call. I don't know if Skype even works anymore for most people, but on a Zoom call with somebody in Australia, the hardest part is getting up, you know, like, or staying up. You know, we've had people from, from China that presented as well. And it's, it's been rad, man. It's just like, what's really neat is being able to sit there and listen to people who have either done the legwork to figure out the, the pros and cons and ins and outs and progressions and regressions of certain things that can allow your athletes to perform better. And, and then be able to try to take those pieces and, and find ways that it can, you know, it can help a kid like a, you know, like a, a young Jacob Gilliard versus an older Jacob Gilliard, you know, like what do we need to do there? Like, I mean, it's, what, what has changed in his game? What has changed in how he moves, you know, or, or like kind of the, the differences of Grant throughout his years, things like that. And being able to reach out to people um, who are the best in the world has really been something that we've been fortunate to do because of that. Mm-hmm. So what is, what is it that attracted you particularly? Obviously you were a college athlete, so that transition was kind of natural, but working specifically with athletes, particularly at the college level versus and you're on a team versus, you know, there's a lot of one-on-one personal training, whether it's with an athlete or I'm sure you know the term NARP, um, yes. you know, working, you know, what, what about working with a college level team versus that kind of stuff? Um, have you enjoyed? Well, I mean, I, you know, early on in my career, you kind of have to do both because you know, you've got to go through your steps and getting from A to B to, to being into one of the better positions where you're, you know, you're, but I'm still working, you know, with Nova Aquatics as well, like working with young kids, uh, coaching. I've always liked the team aspect. Um, and I guess that it's, I'm, I'm going to be a little biased because like working with this team, they're so unique, man. Like, like these, like I joked with people all summer when we were doing all of these, these zoom presentations and meetings and all these Instagram lives that like, like nobody's safe around them. Like they just bust everybody's chops. Like there's no tomorrow. And it's like, like that, like brotherhood and 
the understanding of being able to, to work pieces together and being able to figure out not just then, right, like what would be best for Noah, but what would be best for Noah as he fits into our system and how we can work on things of that nature. You know, and I, and I just don't, I don't know if being in the one-on-one situation is something that I would ever be in. I mean, I was a, I was a center back and a wing back in soccer. I was checking line forward in high school hockey. Like I've always kind of been like the mucker grinder, you know, throw it in the corner. I'll go lead in with my head. And if I come out on my feet with the puck, great. If not, you know, somebody, the next guy will get it type of person. So it's, I, I don't know if working for myself has ever been something that I would ever really be good at. I think it's more of I'm here for those 17 guys and, and you know, the other teams I get to work with and I'm here for coach Mooney and coach Jenkins and coach Jones and coach Thomas and, you know, the whole staff and, you know, Adam Smith, you know, and, you know, making sure that we're doing right for the, you know, for the sport coaches and for the medical staff and moving them forward the best we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and it's always, I know from my just personal training experience, just working, whether it's with a team or a group is just so different. And you talk about the brotherhood and the energy and not letting guys off the hook. And I just know personally, even if it's just working out with one other person or with a team, like from when I played high school sports, you know, even if, you know, obviously that one-on-one aspect is great because you do get to pick apart the movements. You have to be very particular in the, in the motions and staying healthy, whether it's a shoulder movement, but at the same time, you can't really replicate, like you said, that brotherhood when you're in the weight room, just guys pushing each other, you know, you're hitting your max on a squat, you know, it's a different energy that comes with it that I think is really exciting. Um, as you talked about a little bit earlier, we kind of chatted about, you know, the different things you have done with the athletes as they gotten back, you know, whether it's giving them time off, starting with kind of just general back to sport training, you're probably not going in there specializing. What does their training program look like right now, especially being on campus when you normally would be resting? Yeah. So it's really, again, like uh, back to it, it's such a unique time. And I don't know if these guys have had this much time off away from campus or away from basketball their whole careers and when it comes to when they were 12 13 years old so we sat down and, and after a bunch of going through lectures and sitting there and listening on these talks and being involved in a couple myself and you know like having these with the CVASP thing I did an Instagram live I tried to every day for like the first month just to kind of get the pulse of what other people were doing and what was going on and everybody kept talking about how we needed to do things different, how things needed to be unique, and how people were really nervous that these student-athletes are going to be exceptionally detrained. And I think that it finally got to me where I was just like, you know, like, we all need to sit down and talk. So we ended up starting with Mike Thompson, Adam Smith, and I sitting there and, and talking about, you know, assuming we were going to start in June that got pushed back to July. Like, what do we need them to be ready to do? Started talking about individual instruction in the groups and, and what we do with that and what's important. We just kind of bucketed it into certain things, right? Like they, they do a lot of starting and stopping. They do a lot of change of direction. They do a lot of moving side to side. They do a lot of things where they, they have to accelerate quick and stop, accelerate quick and stop. We're like, okay, so then what are things that they need to be able to do? And it's like, well, they got to be able to hit a lot of accelerations. They got to build up and maybe try to hit some closer to top end speeds just so that the tissue is ready for it. Right. And then 
we've got to increase the number of stops they have and we've got to build the ability to do those things over and over and over again. And we kind of sat there, we're like, well, so what are we going to do in the weight room? And we're just like, well, if our primary objective, number one, is to make sure they're ready for coach for practice, maybe we need to assume that they're not in physical condition to practice and we need to start running and doing conditioning and speed work, you know, two to four days a week, depending how you look at each of those days so that we can prepare them for practice. If the most important thing to the athlete is skill, then we need to make sure that they are best able to be able to participate in skilled practice. So that's what we did is we had Monday and Thursday, we went from you know, short buildups into longer accelerations into starting to get them to move side to side into accelerations and then into moving side to side as fast as they can and really trying to hit some flying 20s as fast as they can go just to prepare the tissue for what they're going to do. We got them into bouncing exercises and some what we would call extensive jumping so that they're able to just be elastic and move and relax and not get tense when they're, when they're doing these things. And then we took a day where we work in what we would like to call extensive tempo, which basically means you run at about 75, 80%, but it's not too fast or too long that you couldn't repeat it quite a bit. And we started at half the volume. We worked our way up to full volume and every third or fourth workout, we went from straight ahead to, three changes of direction to five changes of direction. And then the last week was multiple movements. So forward out, backward back, 180 turns, so straight all the time, and then shuffling to, again, get them ready for what we knew they were going to do. You know, everybody's seen the videos where they're showing all the closeouts and the slides and all this and that. Well, I couldn't imagine trying to do that after four months and thinking my hips were going to feel anything better than they do at 41 years old if I'm 19, you know, like that's just, I don't know if we'd be setting the guys up the best we could there. So we, that's the avenue we took. And this past week, so last Friday, we, we've ticked all our boxes. So we've started working our way back into the weight room and, you know, gonna, gonna build that way. And then I, you know, really going into these next three or four weeks when, I think it was Rothstein yesterday tweeted that that's when we'll find out when we start. That's when it'll really determine where we're at. But the big thing right now is we want to touch those speeds a couple times and then keep doing that more aerobic-y type work so that we make sure that Coach Mooney's got a team that's ready to go fast and ready to, to withstand a two-and-a-half-hour practice the day they say that we can start two-and-a-half-hour practice. And at that point, we'll pull that out and we'll start focusing back on those other aspects of physical preparation, whether it be specific strengths or whatever each one of these young men need in order to be best ready to play fully close to 40 games in a college basketball season. Yeah. Yeah, I like how you, how you touched about that with, you know, be, what, are the, what are these guys ready for? What's the most important thing after four or five months off? Because, you know, like you said, guys been off four or five months if you then ask them to go play two hours of basketball and two hours before that, you put them under a, you know, squat rack at like 250, 300 pounds and then ask them to go play two hours of basketball. It's probably not a recipe for success, especially injury wise, right? Tired legs. How big of a concern was that both generally worried, but also thinking about your programming 
with these guys being off for so long, whether from a specific basketball perspective or general fitness perspective. And also particularly you have a guy like Connor Crabtree, right? He's been rehabbing through quarantine. So how big of a worry was that from an injury perspective of getting them back into basketball shape? The primary issue is always that. And, you know, for the most part, they did pretty well. Um, but I think, the, honest to God, I think the people that did did just as well as the coaches, you know, they they could have taken that first week when they had them back and just blown everything up. But they didn't. They did a great job with understanding that, you know, where the guys were and taking their time and moving forward. Because the other thing, too, that we've got to remember right now is the, we have one player coming back under the age of 20. Like, we have an older group. So when they've touched different things, when it comes to strength, speed, endurance, all that stuff, all that comes back faster. Like when you've been able to do these things and hit these levels, those things return quick. So there's really no rush. And I think that, you know, the, the entire staff has done a sensational job with, you know, making sure that, you know, we've been able to move forward as best as possible. Yeah. What what is it particularly with basketball? I think is a really unique sport for training because it's not you know look at like Kevin Durant right like that's a guy you think of as a strong player finishes strong at the hoop but he's pretty skinny and his bench press at the combine was terrible. Yeah, he got what stapled a, at one eighty five. Yeah, like what what is it about basketball where or you look at a guy like Tyler Bird, super strong player, but like obviously weighs less than Grant does, but like we think of him as a stronger player than Grant. How do you train basketball players differently than other guys? And also think about this kind of misconception of like, you don't want to be strong and bulky in basketball. And it's like, you do want to be strong, but it's a different type of strength and you train it differently. Yeah, hundred percent. And I don't know if I would ever say you don't want to be strong and bulky to play basketball. I would say every individual has a certain area, whether we want to say it morphologically or, cosmetically or weight wise where they play best. Right. And, and that's just with everything, you know, like if, if I, if I weigh 215 pounds, you'll see me bent over a little bit further because my back hurts. Like, it's just, that's just how some people work. Some people, it's their knees, some people, it's their feet, some people, it's other things, but there are just specific weights that people play best at. Really, it's a matter of figuring out that aspect for the guys and working with them. And I think that the other part, when we're talking about training, you know, again, I, I hate to keep going back to Jacob, but like if Jacob Gilliard plays at 160 pounds and he's quick as a hiccup and can get, to get his hands in there and steal the ball and do all those things that he does better than anybody in the country, is, is having him play at a buck 70 going to help us? No, it's probably going to slow him down, right? So, what can we end up doing when it comes to things like relative strength or strength versus body weight? And our programming does a pretty good job with that. Now, like initially these young men are going to put on a lot of weight anyway, because they're 18, 19, 20 years old. It's the first time they've ever had D hall, right? Like, you know, D hall in a year in the weight room. Yeah. D hall in a year in the weight room can do a lot for you when it comes to putting on some pounds, but are we putting on the right pounds? And, and one thing that we've always spoken about is, you know, you see a lot of kids that go to college and their strength coaches post that first summer, that first 10 months, like before and after picture. And it's like, look at how amazing this, that, and the third is. And it's like, 
our main thing that we try to get them to understand first is that this is, we're here for the long haul. This is going to be four years of us trying to develop you into the best player possible. And two, you just have to understand the principles behind what we are doing. And if you can understand the principles behind what we are doing, then these, these young men have a massive amount of autonomy in what we do. Because a good friend of mine who spent a long time with the Chicago Bulls said it best when he said that the athlete is the PhD of their sport. So if I'm sitting there talking with Jacob and Blake and one of them says, I feel better squatting in this machine. And the other one says, I feel better, you know, doing squat jumps. Who am I to tell them they're wrong? Because at the end of the day, right, whether you think you're right or you're not, you're probably, probably right. So if, if this is what they believe in and they tell me that that's going to help them and they can follow our general principles and they can give me some way to determine if we're getting better, then let's go, you know? Um, but otherwise, man, it's, it's also so individual. Like just look at our starting five, right? Jacob, Blake, Nick, Nathan, Grant. You're not going to train any one of those guys the same. Like, like no. none of them, right? They're, they're five exceptionally different players, five different personalities, five different thought processes on whether it be running or jumping, or doing other non-weight-bearing conditioning or lifting. So it comes down to what's going to get them excited to do things? What are they going to believe in? What are they going to put the most effort forth into and how can we manage slash evaluate it to make sure that we're continuing to move forward? Yeah. I, I think that you really, you kind of nailed it with the, you know, you have to treat every guy different because in people also just genetically to respond differently to things. Yeah, everyone has a different makeup. So some guys just can't put on the weight like other guys. Um, I think one, one person that I think of particularly when we think of kind of the way you specify training is a, a Sal, right? Like Sal's a guy who came in as a freshman, pretty skinny kid. A lot of people are saying like, this is a guy that needs to put on weight. Then especially in year two, when you kind of watch him play, like he's actually a really strong rebounder. He's a good shot blocker, can get into foul trouble, but he's a good rim protector. And he's a guy that can rebound the ball pretty strongly. The thing that people do look at is they say foot speed, quickness, right? Like has his footwork. You want to see him move a little bit faster. So maybe like, maybe his body type skinny, but like in like Tyler too, not a huge guy, but can still play strong. So, so you coach those guys differently, particularly with Sal. Is that something you guys have been working on bulking or is that, is it the quickness? Like, where's he at with all that? Well, initially, yeah, he had to put some weight on and I think he did a really fantastic job with that. You know, I think the one thing I always bring up when we talk about Sal, man, is like, he, he's an and one a game, you know, like you, people would say, you know, this, that, and the third about, you know, whether he's big enough or not, man, he's a strong kid. You know, he, and he might not even be that, you know, like the strongest kid in the weight room, but you know what he is? He's a strong kid with the ball who's going to go up there, he's going to play through contact, and he's going to finish. Um, are there some things when it comes to his foot speed and, you know, maybe how he reacts to the ground and bounces and changes direction that we probably may be looking at a little bit more? Um, I don't think that would necessarily be too far off, but again – how much does that fit completely with the player, right? Like that would be a conversation that while I don't 
disagree at all with what you're saying. I think, I mean, I don't think anybody could not be faster, right? I think everybody on the planet would like to be a little, other than Usain Bolt, I'm pretty sure everybody on the planet would like to be a little bit faster. But when you look at how a player plays, is that going to give us the biggest ROI on his production? If he were to tell me, yo, like, this is really something I need to get better at and it's going to help, then yeah, like that would be 100% where we would, we would focus. Uh, but I, you know, I think right now he's doing so well with his consistency and buying into the plan and his involvement with it and his understanding of it that, you know, if, if he were to say that there would be a need to change in that direction, I would be 1000% behind him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's, I also think it's one thing I always think of in terms of just coming to college. Cause obviously that's kind of the level where a lot of kids, particularly with nutrition and fitness really like, there's a big gap between high school and college, like huge. You say like Sal, right? Like Sal came in obviously pretty light, did a good job of bulking up. You know, you've worked with, you say, again, you work with Nova Aquatics, you're working with younger athletes too. What is that? What is the biggest gap you see in training between the high school and the college athlete and where do these athletes and strength and conditioning coaches at that level need to be making changes to get these kids ready for college? You know, I think it's getting less and less. I think that there's a lot of really, really great people that work in high school. Now there's a uh, uh, Gary Schofeld and Rich Gray started a corporation called the national high school strength and conditioning coaches association i think that's it's like 17 letters like it looks like a russian last name on the back of a jersey it's so long but it's they do such a great job with educating these coaches and these young people understanding just like basic things you know when it was back even like you know when it was justin and smitty and kevin that came in like i would have probably said that most of these young people don't know how to bend like they don't bend their knees and they can't like sit into their hips very well. Uh, their ankles would be locked up, but you know, the freshmen that we have right now are doing really, really great. You know, it's, they're two days into it, you know, and, and maybe, you know, some of the conditioning work helped maybe getting out there and working on some speed stuff has helped, you know, to get, you know, get them dialed up a little bit, get them wired up here a little bit, you know, and, but they, they bend great, you know, I mean, pull-ups are hard for anybody, especially anybody over five foot nine, like me, you know, like, so like there's some kids that are going to have a harder time with that. But at the end of the day, I, I, I think that gap is closing very, very quickly. Yeah. I think, I, I think for me, the only thing I've ever noticed is really just with a lot of the mobility and like the dynamic kind of stuff. I think that's where we see, especially like in terms of injury prevention, is we see a lot of guys. I, th- I see this, I think, more in football than you do in basketball. But guys just getting in and one rep maxing, right? Like, you know, like, I- I'd argue your-, your triple extension as an athlete is probably infinitely more important in your explosiveness on that than what your one rep max is on a bench press. Yet we continue to see offensive linemen do it. And they're a different type of athlete. Um, when you look at, particularly, you guys have three freshmen this year. You talked about how big of an advantage you have with a generally older team because these guys are both mentally, but physically mature there's not that there's less work for you to do but they kind of know what they need to do when we look at the three freshmen you do have what are the things you've got them working on in the early stages what are kind of the things you're noticing from a strength and conditioning and fitness perspective well i'm gonna have to gonna have to stand up for my guy q and let you know we got four freshmen oh, um, excuse me quentin south of course yep yep but no nah, man dude they're great they're great they're great young men they're they're working really hard what we've got them working on right now 
just trying to figure it out, man. Like, mm. you know, there used to be a day and a time where it would be, you'd kind of, kind of try to force them along and, and move them and, and try to make them understand it the way you wanted to understand it. And now it's just a matter of like letting them learn, letting them figure out what these principles are. And, and it's simple. It really is simple. At the end of the day, our goal is to try to get a little better tomorrow than we were yesterday. And if that's five pounds or one more rep or one more jump or a tenth of a second off or going a little longer, like that's all that matters is that you got a little better, that you were able to do something a little bit more. And, and the faster they understand that, the more we can then look at things differently. You know, I mean, just with the, the three scholarship guys, I mean, Andre is a very large human. Um, Isaiah is a sensational athlete. And, and Jai right now just he needs to get, you know, healed up. But, you know, another very, very good athlete of a completely different build than, than Isaiah. And, you know, Q is put together great, good athlete works hard, you know, like, I'm, I don't think any of those four guys I'll ever end up questioning whether or not they're putting forth effort. I don't think those four guys I'll ever end up questioning whether or not their heart's in it with what they're doing. I think it's just going to be a matter of them learning how we do things, what's important, and then really understanding that their involvement is so crucial in understanding of what we can do to be better. You know, because at the end of the day, right, like, maybe it's not going to be a situation where we look at a young person and are like, we're going to take a year and try to put, you know, 30 or 40 pounds on your rear foot elevated split squat, or we're going to try to put 50 pounds on your trap bar deadlift or whatever exercise, you know, like you mentioned triple extension. Like we want to make sure that you're hitting 2.5 meters per second at your peak velocity on your clean poles or your push presses or whatever. Maybe it's just something where we're like, yo, we got to do some exercises to make sure that when you're running, your feet stop turning out, you actually finish through your big toe. You know, things like that where we can like find that 1% by helping their body move in a better way so that they can be faster, safer, take the stress off their knees and their back, yada, 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 all those other things, right? Um, and those are some things that have been really cool in the past with some of the guys that have been really fun projects to work on. Mm. I think it was it actually just reminded me of something hearing you talk about the not, you know, not keeping your feet out. You know, you always want to have knees over toes and everything, particularly like the running. I want to hear your perspective as particularly working in basketball. Zion Williamson has been a huge polarizing thing with obviously his weight, his fitness, his bulkiness. But one thing in particular they were talking about with the knee injuries is that the Pelicans were kind of reprogramming how he runs. And everyone obviously on Twitter freaks out and is like, they have to reprogram how he runs. He's an athlete. Like, this is mayhem. Like, But then there's a lot of experts that come in and say, this is very common with athletes. Like, there's a lot of guys that get to the NBA, and they're like, you need to make adjustments so you don't get hurt. What do you, what do you say on that in terms of just not panicking with that, but also just when you viewed him and watched him play, what have you seen from him weight-wise, bulk-wise? Do you think that he's a guy that does need to lose weight? Um, so I, I'd just be interested to hear your perspective on that entire situation. Yeah. And that he probably needs about three sets of 10 stand up away from the tables right now, but you know, 
Dude, I like that. Put that one on a t-shirt. That's a good one. <laughs> I mean, but like jokes aside, he's such a sensational athlete. Like he is a once in a lifetime like specimen. You know, like he's when you watch him play, right? He's like a a foot taller Derrick Rose. Right? Like he's massive. Like I don't know how his body can withstand what he puts it through. Um now, when you're talking about changing things with an athlete's gait and how they land and do all these things, I think that there's two sides to that coin. I think that the first side of that coin is there's a lot of people that like to freak out about different situations. And then there's the people on the other side that are like, for example, like if your knees come in when you land or when you jump, I would love for anyone to find me an individual who shoots a jump shot and their knees don't come in. I don't know why that happens. And it used to just like, I would watch it and I would like, like turn red and be like, oh my God, we got to fix this. It's like, you can't. Like, that's the yeah. skill. Like, I don't know why, but that's just the skill. There are some people that talk about the triangle. So your feet are out a little wider than your hips and your knees are in a bit as a power position when you jump to, when you go to jump. Derek Rose was famous for it. Now, I mean, terrible example to use there, right? Is it one of the greatest athletes the NBA yeah. has seen that, Unfortunately, his career was cut short. Well, not cut short, but it had a big Impacted, gap in the yeah. middle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I think, though, when you're talking about affecting gait and affecting how people plant and change direction and those sort of things, it is doable. You know, one thing that we've had some really good success with. Um, hold on. told you I'm a hockey player. I'm super superstitious. Um, was doing things barefoot or in vibrant five fingers. Are my shoes here? Did I put them in my locker? Like those toe shoes, those ugly things that like people wear. We've had really good success with helping guys who have issues with their toes and their feet and their ankles um, move better in that sense. You know, there's some limitations to what you can do in them, but when it comes to getting that that big toe to actually flex and extend it's been something that has been good for us um i think though with zion if that were me the conversation that i would have with him would be about his career and about his health and about making sure that he was able to play for as long as possible and trying to figure out what we could do to help him with how his body biomechanically functions to be the most efficient athlete possible so that he could play for as long as possible uh, because it's, it, there are some things you can do and be successful in a short period of time, but to make massive changes that occur subconsciously is not something that you're going to make happen overnight. Yeah. Yeah, I think you, you make a good point because it's just when you watch the amount of sheer force, like it was the same with Derrick Rose. Like it is ridiculous, except Zion's doing it at 285 pounds. It's, but it, it's not like he's been doing this forever. Like I've heard a lot of arguments with like, you know, like you said, it's a playing weight. Some guys can quote unquote be out of shape and it's their better playing weight. Like look at Pablo Sandoval earlier, earlier in his career, actually played pretty well, incredibly overweight with the Giants, lost a little weight in the Red Sox, obviously didn't go well. 
but he wasn't that heavy at Duke by no means. You can even look back one year to Duke. He was not 285 pounds. I don't care what the strength and conditioning coaches told you over there. He's playing at 270, 275. And you, when you talk about injury, I just don't understand um, how you can possibly sustain that. Um, when, when we talk about kind of moving along with the knee injury theme here, um, you're, you're looking at a guy right here currently uh, recovering from a torn ACL at the moment. Um, I've, I've had Nick on here before. We've talked a little bit about it. Um, what are kind of the strides that, that he's made? What were the things that you were working on with him? Um, both, you know, quad strength, we know is a really big thing. And when you look at just the way he plays and the type of athlete, how, how he has been able to come back really strong from that and just like the way he plays. Yeah. And, you know, and that's hundred percent a testament to him, man. He's, he's such an everyday guy. He's such a worker. He's, you know, he attacked all of that from day one. Like I, I've almost never seen anyone do like just to make sure that things were back and ready to go. But yeah, you know, after Adam really got everything going and got him bending and extending and back to it, I think probably one of the things that that people overlook is doing things backwards when it comes to people with knee issues. Like, putting a sled on your hips and walking backwards heel to toe to really work on that BMO strength. Uh, we do a lot of stuff when it comes to like the, this device, it's a flywheel. So like the harder you push in, the more it pulls down to really work that eccentric strength in the quad. But you know, like he's, he's great, man. He's really been open, been honest and, and, and been, extremely helpful in all of it you know we did some things too with some blood flow restriction stuff to help when we had to get back with the um you know, get the the girth measurements back right uh, and it's it's been it's it's been a lot of him just really busting his butt and i know that you know you're going through it right now and, and it you know people don't understand that like a lot of it is just it's just not sexy man it's just working and it's days that it doesn't feel great and you need to figure out if it's a day that doesn't feel great and you can keep pushing or if a day that it doesn't feel great and we got to pull the plug and there's a lot of like maturity to it that is just hard and you know i think that that nick really has done an amazing job and it's he's still improving by the day and it's it's awesome you know like there were some issues with you know getting the imbalance back and it's, it's just, he just keeps attacking every day to make sure that he's as 100% as possible and dialed in ready to go when, when we get the chance to play. It, it really has been such a, a, a fascinating thing to, to be able to, to kind of ride along and, and, and watch as, as he's taking these steps. Cause like he's, he's doing, he, he did great this past season. Like, I don't know what else we could have asked for a guy post ACL, but I mean, when you look at his injury, right, that now more than ever, it's starting to look like that lateral Euro jump stop is just like bad news bears. There's just more and more of these people that it happens to. And I don't understand why, because if the mechanics of the landing are right and you're in that spot you would think you would be protected but i don't i don't know i i just it stinks you know like it, it, that's how d rose did his 
you know, and it's like, I mean, obviously Derek Rose isn't nearly the athlete that Nick Sherrod is, but you know, nor myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, obviously, <laughs> but it's, it's just, yeah, you know, it's just not, it's not a fun process, but he's just been such a pro man. He's just been mm. such a pro. Yeah. Yeah. I think I know just like him and I have chatted a little bit back and forth, like just the way he's like, you just got to go day by day. It's just such a long process. And it's like, you know, whether it's doing the at home stuff in the weeks following your surgery and stuff, it really just doing something every day. Like you said, it's just that general mentality and fitness and strength and everything. It's like, don't be like, I need, I need 50 pounds of my trap bar deadlift. Did it just, did I do something better today than I did yesterday? Did I get better? Mm -hmm. You just got to go with that every day um is that a guy uh, this is kind of shout out austin if you're listening i'm kind of stealing his question from last week a little bit but um or when we talked with coach jenkins but when you look at him you said he took such a great approach was such a professional with his rehab process whether it's him or another guy is there a guy on this team you've really seen with the the fitness aspect and the strength and conditioning that you could see getting into this industry post-career Man, I hope not. I, I hope that they've made enough money. I hope they've made enough money playing college basketball that they don't have to do this. Or playing professional basketball, excuse me. Yeah. Um, that they don't have to. Because these guys these guys do great, man. They they if if they want to play professionally, I hope every single one of them has the longest career that they could ever ever ask for. Now, when it comes to someone that I could see working in a weight room. Mm-hmm. in the performance side oh man I, if if i had to pick one oh. i'd probably say blake francis um blake is just i mean he's just a pro with everything and he's just so he's such a hard worker at everything he does and he he understands the entire process and what we're trying to do. And, you know, really more than anything, he, he has the, the thought process of the goal is to keep the goal the goal. And it's like, mm-hmm. are we able to continue to move and build and go towards, you know, what our final objective is? And if we're not, then what are we doing? Um, so I'd, I'd probably pick Blizzy. He'd probably be my, my guy. All right. Um, one last thing I want to touch on before I let you go is obviously you also specialize in nutrition with the team. That's obviously a huge aspect of fitness and sports and everything. Um, I want to hear from you. There's obviously a lot of kind of fads going around in nutrition. There's you know, vegan, we've got keto, and there's intermittent fasting. There's like everything you can do. And, you know, there's obviously different methods if you're a middle-aged guy trying to lose 40 pounds versus if you're a 20-year-old college athlete. You probably don't want the same diet regimen. But two things in particular, I'm seeing a lot, of, a lot of keto and a lot of vegan. And vegan, and particularly with athletes, we're seeing like I think Kyrie Irving, DeAndre Jordan, both went vegan. I know Arian Foster went vegan when he was playing. Um, tell me why or why not people that whether it's an athlete or an ARP, why or why not these two methods of nutrition are idiotic or actually incredibly intelligent? Wow, you're putting me on the spot here. <laughs> Um, I guess I'll say it, my answer to vegan with this was what was the words you said after Adrian Foster? A- Arian Foster. He, Arian um, Foster. He, yeah. Yeah. He used to play. He yeah he went when he was right. And he got a really bad injury after he went vegan. Well, he went vegan after the I believe it was an ACL. He actually did that post 
um, injury. There's there's a um, there's a lot of information out there that shows that athletes that once they go vegan they typically don't last. Um, I just don't know how you could get the amount of calories necessary in order to sustain the workload that these people go through. You know, when we used to track calories in practice, we would have guys hitting 2,500 calorie expenditures on the regular. That's a lot of carrots, bro. That's a lot of carrots. Like, I don't know how you're going to get what you need to, to be able to survive. Um, the keto thing at the end of the day, all of these different diets and I've been sucked into this. I was used as a test subject with carb backloading and all of that, you know, and it's like all of these diets, what they do is they just trick you into restricting your caloric intake. Mm. At the end of the day, I think that most people, especially students at the University of Richmond, understand what a proper nutrition plan should look like and shouldn't look like. You know, I ate lunch with the guys every day for a whole year. I know exactly how awesome that freaking dessert table in D Hall looks. If you're pulling two or three things off of that every day, chances are you're not going to be moving in the best way for your physique. We also know that there are simple things that you should be doing, right? Like when it comes to your protein source, you know, like baked is better than fried and all of those things. Like, you know, people understand that. Um, but I think that the one thing that people overlook when it comes to nutrition that is so, that what's what makes it actually challenging for people is that it's so emotionally based. You know, people eat and, and that's either like what their life has been or they've eaten things in certain situations, or food provides some sort of secondary stimulus to them that reminds them of home or family or friends or whatever. And you're not, when you're changing how you supply energy to an athlete, you're not just trying to manipulate what they put on their plate. It's actually a, a really big behavior change. Um, and that's why they call them crash diets because people go and do these things and all of a sudden it's like, this is great, this is great, this is great, this is great. Forget this. Give me a Snickers, you know? And it's, that's what makes it challenging. So I think the biggest thing when it comes to anyone nutritionally is unless there is some form of restriction required, whether it be allergic or it be um, religious or anything of that nature, uh, small changes, little by little, that's the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I think you made a great point. Like honestly, I've always, I think the best diet is the diet you follow. Like you said, right? Like if you go full on keto forever, like how useful is that? If after three weeks you say, fuck this and eat a Snickers, like it's not useful. And then particularly the athletes too, like, you know, they, they probably can hit the hall every now and again and be a little bit more okay. Cause it's more about the caloric intake when you're an athlete like that, you know, you said 2,500 calories for some of these guys burning a day, like can't get that with carrots. Like you need to get that caloric intake and it's different for every person. Um, I, I just think the biggest thing is, you know, eat as clean as you can. But like, like you said, I think the biggest thing is the energy, right? Like I know when I 
I did a big diet overhaul last year and just changing and, and I've adjusted it. There was a whole cut phase and all this and that, but essentially building my diet is trying to eat clean. I think the energy difference is absolutely insane. Forget like weight loss or anything, but when you're eating cleaner, you just wake up with a, a, a sense of you're just ready to go a lot more. And I think that's the biggest thing. Um, what at the college level is, is that a big thing where you are correcting a lot of these guys diets when they come in? Because or is it almost that you have to recorrect it because they actually have more freedom in college and maybe eat worse than they did in high school? Um, I don't know if I would say that. I think that for the most part, these guys do really well. And, you know, we also have to remember, too, that whenever you're doing things with coaching, you, you don't just periodize lifting and practice. You have to periodize when you're willing to, you know, kind of, pick fights about things. So depending on the time of year, like if it's more in the off season, we'll be more about trying to figure things out and do things right and hope that we can build these habits. But you know, the week before Brooklyn, I'm, I'm not picking that argument. Like there's no way it's like, let's just be ready. What do you got to do to be ready? Let's make sure you're ready. Um, yep. You know what you should do, but you know, like again, if Jay's a stress eater and when I'm stressed out and I'm tripping out, I need to eat a burger. Mm -hmm. You know what? Like if it'll calm you down and let you practice better later, that's fine. You know, like yeah. we know what we're supposed to do and we know how to handle things. I think that again, like these, especially this group, they, they understand themselves so much. Mm -hmm. They're, they're just so fun to be around because like, they, they challenge you to try to be better and more sophisticated and understanding of each individual and how they can be better. And it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's a lot of fun, but yeah, like, you know, a lot of these kids, they do know and they do eat well and they do, you know, they, because I think that they also saw last summer and into the, the beginning of the season that they felt better and they moved better and they played better and all that stuff, you know, now, obviously, with the limitations we have on campus right now, I'm not able to eat with the guys and not able to sit there and and, and kind of go through that stuff. But they're – yeah, man, they're, they they know. And then they I, for the most part, they do great. It's... All right, so last thing, last thing I got to do with you is uh, – you may have heard of this or not. There's a thing out there called People of Walmart. These YouTube videos used to go around. People will go out. You point out all the different characters of Walmart, right? So me and me and my trainer years ago, when we were we were in between gyms, he's working on his. We worked on the Y for a little bit, and I'm sure as you know, as a fitness guy, you see some characters in the YMCA. You see some interesting people. So you know, there's quarter squat gang. There's all this and that. I want to play a little bit of people. We'll, I call it people of the Y. We'll call it people of the gym with you guys. I'm gonna talk about kind of like an archetype of a guy in the gym. I'm putting you on the spot, and you gotta pick a guy on the team who this is gonna be. So first off, who is who is like gym mob hype man? Like who's that guy in there where you're squatting, you're you're benching 120, and he is in your ear screaming like "Let's go!" Like he's hyping you up. All time or this team right now? Let's do. Let's start with this team, but I'd like to hear the Sullivan Colger. I like it. That's a good name. I like that one. All time Connor Smith. Connor Smith. Why? Why you pick those two guys? Um, Connor was out of his mind. I love him, but he was like, he was like the energy guy. Um, yeah. and that's just salt, man. Like he's, 
you know, like he's there for everybody else. And he 100%, like if it was somebody that had to get going, it's either going to be Sullivan or it's going to be Grant. Mm. Um, that if it's, if it's time to, to get somebody going, I could see them. Grant's going to be more of a like, let's go kind of guy. But Sullivan's mm. going to be like, if someone needs to yell, it'll just like be him. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Who's who's like mama mentality? Who's I I feel like it'll be Blake, but who's like locked in? Like I'm zone. Like this is I'm hitting every rep. Blake, yes. Um, and then I'd probably put Tyler in there. Okay. Um, Tyler really worked hard last year to develop a routine of mm-hmm. being there every la- every single day to do something. Um, and if we're talking about like that sort of idea, uh, hate to cheat and give three, but if I didn't say Matt Grace also, I would be disappointed. All right. And lastly, who is, who is running late on hitting a rep because they're busy chatting to their lifting partner? <laughs> oh my God. I mean, that could be all of them. Um, <laughs> I mean, so here's what's again, if the goal is to keep the goal to goal, what's important is for them to hit the rep. Maybe not as important to hit the rep on the second. Yeah. So, like, I'm not a big work off the time guy. Mm-hmm. But so far, no one's been late because we've mm-hmm. been doing that of late. But if there were two people, I would guess it would probably be Sal and Jacob. Mm-hmm. But it would probably be because they were, like, there was some good trash talking going on at that moment. Yeah. And it was, uh, it would be a fun moment in the weight room. Okay. So if I was going to say next best trash talk in the weight room, you going with those two guys? Oof. Jacob, definitely. Yeah. He's Jacob, got definitely. Jacob, definitely. And, and, but he's also like one of the funniest human beings I've ever met. So yeah. it's like, you know who else would probably be in there when it comes to the trash talking game? That's, it might surprise you in the weight room. That's really, he's awesome at it. Uh, and like, even like gets at me sometimes is yeah. Gately. Really? Oh, Gately's is great. Oh, it's great. It's great. Yes. It's great. I love that. I lo- awesome. I, and I love it. I love, I mean, he's the, he's the captain of the arm farm, man. He, he has that right. It's, uh, it's great. Yeah. I, I, I'm always game with some good trash talk. It's fun. Love it. That's awesome. Jay, I appreciate you giving me the time, man. We've been going for, for a bit now, so I'm going to let you go. Um, good luck this year. I know you guys are ramping back up. Excited to get, you know, on the ground running, students coming back. So nothing but the best, hopefully, season on time, and you guys hit hit the ground running. Yeah, man. Fingers crossed for it. Appreciate it, buddy. Take care. Yeah, anytime, man. Be good. Thank you for listening to the Spider Scoop podcast presented by ESPN Richmond. Make sure to follow me and Austin on Twitter and Instagram for more spider basketball content. You can get me at Noah Goldberg 10 and Austin at Austin Daisy 11. So check us out on, on uh, those platforms. And we hope to see you guys soon. Yeah. Sometimes we laugh and sometimes we cry, but I guess you know now. Baby. I took a half and she took the whole thing. Slow down. We took a trip, now we on your block and it's like a ghost town Baby Where did these niggas be at when they said they doing all this and all that? Tired of beefing you bums, you can't even pay me enough to react Been waking up in the crib and sometimes I don't even know where I'm at
play that nigga songs in this party, I can't even listen to that Anytime that I run into somebody, it must be a victory lap, ayy Shawty come sit on my lap, ayy They saying Drizzy just snap This in between us is not like a store, this isn't a closable gap, ayy I see some niggas attack, and don't end up making it back I know that they at the crib going crazy down bad What they had didn't last, damn baby Sometimes we laugh and sometimes we cry, but I guess you know now Baby I took a half and she took the whole thing, slow down Baby We took a trip, now we on your block and it's like a ghost town Baby Where did these niggas be at when they said they doing all this and all that? I'm in the trenches, relax Can you not pay that little boy in the club? Cause we do not listen to rest We in Atlanta, I buy her weed She telling me Tay is the best Point at the nigga who act like a killer But you only one from the net I'm like the baby, I'm not just a rapper You play with me, you won't get stretched And the money's hard to make So I bet they on their face right now I know that they at the crib Going crazy down bad What they had didn't last Damn, baby Sometimes we laugh and sometimes we cry But I guess you know now Baby I took a half and she took the whole thing Slow down Baby We took a trip, now we on your block And it's like a ghost town Baby, where did these niggas be at when they said they doing all this and all that? When he tell the story, that's not how it went. Know they be lying a hundred percent. Moved out of the wrist and forgot about it been. Now they just called me to tell me come get it. Now that boy off and I don't want no credit. If it was me, they wouldn't regret it. Let me be dead and now they won't dead it. Yeah, heart is still beating, my niggas still eating. Backyard it look like the garden eating. Pillow talk with him, she's spilling the tea and the shorty came back and said she didn't mean it. Where these niggas be at when they say they doing all this and all that?